0: Hi, this is Paul, and uh, almost all of you will recognize who I'm with today. And John and I are going to talk about his new series after Socrates. Uh, he was generous enough to give me a, a sneak peek of the first episode, which which I've watched, and so I think I
1: think we're going to have a lot to talk about, John. So excellent, excellent. Thank you, Paul. It's great to see you again. How are your holidays been?
0: Holidays have been great. Uh, we had we've had, I mean, for for me the. Now that I'm an old man, what all I want for Christmas is to, is to see my
1: kids. <laughs> yeah, 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 uh, yeah. Uh, I, I I don't think I, I think I, I received one present, uh, and that's great. Uh, yeah. it, it's more about uh, just spending time with people and doing things with people. Oh, uh, absolutely, absolutely. Well, we haven't
0: we haven't talked since Thunder Bay. Maybe we should start there a little bit, and then we can ease sure. into Socrates. Um, any 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 thoughts now? A couple months after Thunder Bay.
1: Yeah, I mean, we both and we, we talked about it at the time and, and Jonathan shared this as well, the sense of a growing momentum and something's emerging. And uh, I don't think anybody has a clear sense of quite what it is, but a very palpable sense that there is something emerging um, that has only increased for me um, as I've been swimming around um, in, in this little corner of the Internet and uh, in, in estuary waters with it. <laughs> um and, um, and, uh, and that seems to be reflected back in, um, both professionally, like academically and publicly. There's just been a significant qualitative and quantitative in, interest in my work. Um, and so, um, there's a lot happening and I feel like a lot of discussions. I feel like we've all, moved to places we weren't two or three years ago and it's been very valuable i'm looking forward uh to uh the conversation with jordan cooper I, I, i'm looking forward to meeting him and talking with him um so um there's a lot happening i, I, I um i i don't know I, I, like you know, i'm filing silent not because uh there's too little to say it's almost like i have this sense of um, so much happening um and 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 not being able to articulate it very clearly, which is good and bad. Uh, I worry that, I I mean, I'm happy that I think there is, if you'll you'll allow me my language, there is a response to the meeting crisis growing uh, palpably. Um, And I think that's good and I'm happy about that. Um, I'm worried about the lack of clarity. I, I know that things are nascent and you have to allow them their timing but I'm also worried about that provides a room for charlatans and grifters and bad faith actors and manipulation and corporate insinuation and all mm-hmm. kinds of things that are liable to happen when things don't have uh, a certain kind of clarity. So I'm, I'm kind of I'm, I'm I this is going to sound like ridiculous oxymoron. I'm happily ambivalent. I'm happy, but I'm ambivalent because I'm, <laughs> I'm a little bit concerned about. Um, about things well, well, what do you feel well i
0: I very much have the sense I mean, covid was sort of this blanket over everything where we couldn't travel and Thunder Bay, of course, got pushed back for two years i I think um yeah i I share a lot of that both excitement and uh, anxiety um i I'm just... So, so my experience is very much in, and we'll get into that when we talk about this series, my experience is very much in terms of people. And I mean, every Sunday I sit, I stand up in front of a, a live audience and and these people aren't paying to see me uh, directly. Mm-hmm. They, um, There's no test given afterwards. And if I stay in a place, you know, I don't just have them for four years. I've had this group for 25 years right. and now you know this is this is another part of what i think we'll have to talk about with respect to this these new tools that we're using yeah and i think that's really that's really a critical piece of your project here yes. is that we're using these tools to try to do something and there's during covid churches either sort of shuttered or some just kept going most sort of went into kind of a hybrid mode where, you know, some people were watching online and, and some people were coming in. And so actually over the last couple of years, churches have pastors have done a lot of learning and reflection on what can and can't video do, especially when we get into the, I really like how in the video you talk about the inside and the outside. I mean, that's, that's such a key feature or such a key aspect that as we deal with um you know religious pluralism which is i think a lot of the 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 realities of the let's see how would i say it once everyone understood the impact that pervasive religious pluralism had on religious communities Mm -hmm. and how both similarities between religions and differences between religions forced um, deep questioning about sort of, and I don't use this word pejoratively, the naive nestedness of religious communities and worldviews. And of course, that nestedness which gave those communities and worldviews a coherence. Pluralism disrupts that, and now especially when, now you open up YouTube and there are anywhere from five to twenty five little tiles that can <laughs> manifest pluralism. Yeah. You know, so Buddhism, so so on and so forth. So Thunder Bay was in in many ways a very um a very interesting experiment to have us all be in one place and coming at that conference from very different places yes and then i think it's really it really gets into your concept of dialogos very much very much that was implemented
1: there yes uh, the, the work that kathleen did on that was amazing uh yeah
0: so so now after thunder bay questions are okay we sort of retreat back to our screen land. Um, we anticipate new events that we'll go to. So th- this is this is all a a rather vast running experiment, and and it's happening at so many different levels. So there are there are people who aren't on YouTube. There are people who are, have little channels in the in the in in the triple digits. Then you have people in the four figures, five figures. And then Peugeot's into six figures and Peterson's into seven figures. So then you have all of these tiers as well. So we're we we're playing around with something that is, um, that is very, well, it's new in that we've never had this technology before and we've never used it for this. And all along the way, we're going to figure out, just like you said, what are the capacities? Where are the pitfalls? What are the dangers? So I don't know.
1: Uh, this will sound like a shameless plug, but it isn't. It's honest. Um, uh, I, the, the series is attempting to address both of those uh, points. I mean, the, this where Awakening was extensive, this is about really trying to hone in on the history and the cognitive science of dialectic, platonic, Socratic, book dialectic, dialectic and dialogos, as I like to uh, put it, so it's very clear how I'm using the term uh, because of the way that affords what happened at thunder bay uh, and really try to bring that uh that th- that ecology of practices and that tradition and its philosophical framework back to life to people uh, because I, th- I think that will serve uh this whatever this is uh uh very well and then i'm really playing with the format in this series i'm really uh like i'm i'm not, I, it, it, there's going to be the lectures like it like continuing argument but then there's going to be points to ponder and that's they're going to be designated and set aside and indicated and that's for individual but also to encourage group discussions around the episodes uh peter limberg stoa they're going to be running uh like a dialogue like a discussion group after um and then i'm going to be doing the ped, you know the, the practices you know all the a whole pedagogical program i'm going to be breaking out of the monologue There'll be episodes where there'll be me and Christopher Master Pietro and Theodore Barrett and Guy Senstock. and we'll do entire episodes just demonstrating practices and talking about them, talking about what's happening. There's going to be a whole series within a series that's dialogical in nature. Christopher Master Pietro and I are going to be doing Socrates and Kierkegaard uh, uh, because, in many ways, and this you can see this even in the first episode, I want to be responsible. Uh, to uh, the Christian framework, the Christian community. I know my work is of value. Um, and so I'm very much, I really want to make this clear, and I, I mean, your audience is good vector for this. I'm not putting Socrates as, into competition with Christ. I'm putting him, as he has been, to be fair to me, historically, into dialogue. And Faller and other Christians are doing, it's Kierkegaard are doing that. Uh, Kierkegaard is a follower of Christ but his teacher is Socrates Um, and so Chris and I are going to be doing a whole dialogical uh, series within the series where we're doing dialogue about uh, uh, Kierkegaard and Socrates and then we'll also do one on Buber uh, just to bring in uh, that framework too. So I um, I don't, you know, I'm not claiming foresight or anything ridiculous like that. I'm trying to be as responsive and responsible to this 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 sense of like I want to you know can I really get clear about uh, dialectic and the logos and affording the courtyard can I really really uh, help people and make that a a, a a viable a vibrant thing for them and then and secondly um, you know can I can 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 I can I play with the format so it goes out of you know the talking head as much as possible and I've been trying to do that explicitly in the series. Let's
0: talk about the evolution of the format because those who have been following this for a long time know that there was the Buddhism and cognitive science course that you taught at university of Toronto <laughs> and and students were like, well, let's, you know, here, here, let's, I mean, even if you go back to old Jordan Peterson recordings yeah. too, I mean, people, well, I'll just set up a laptop. It's got a camera and a mic in it. Yeah, yeah. Just record it that way. So then there was that. And of course that's when Strawn kind of said, Oh, you got to watch this guy. And then of course, Awakening from the meaning crisis was yeah. sort of, you know, you had a you had a whiteboard and you had a desk and and the the context was still sort of a, a college yes. classroom and yeah. this is different. So talk to me about the your thinking behind the evolution of this.
1: The thinking behind the evolution has also been, uh, I, I hope, an aspirational change within me. Um, part of how I how I'm I'm sort of seeing myself. Um, I don't mean in in, an egocentric fashion. I mean, like, how how, I'm trying to figure out how I can be most, as I say, responsive and responsible. And after I did Awakening from the Meaning Crisis, you and Jonathan, uh, and it was done with respect, you made made some, I think, very, I think, correct criticisms about this. Um, And I've been trying... um, to respond to them. Um, and the format has been evolving. And then so that was on one end about, yeah, this was too individualistic a project. And uh, there's a lot of stuff that's missing. And there's a scalability issue. And um, trying to address that. And uh, how does this go into practice? And what's the relationship between this and you know ritual practices, except all of that, you know, and and, and you've brought that up in multiple ways. And, you know, and so Jonathan and other people, that was on one hand. And then there was, uh, you know, the turn towards practice, um, which, uh, you know, was really spearheaded to a significant degree uh, by rebel wisdom. Um, the, by the way, the the, the, the wrap up for that was quite, uh, quite bittersweet. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, uh, but uh, and, you know, and the turn towards practice and then, and then, it, it, you know, it was, you know, Penny dropping crystal clear to me that person who talks about the non propositional better be, you know, exemplifying a- and demonstrating practices to people and 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 really doing a lot of participant observation. So I did a ton. I, yeah, I, I have the wounds to prove it. I did a ton of participant observation um, and, you know, a lot of cognitive science and, you know, both published and ongoing work about the colonies of practices. And so I and I have tried to adapt like the new series to that, and you know, and I've been playing with around with things. You know, I was doing these shows, the you know, the cognitive science shows. Was I was trying to show the community generation of ideas and the ongoing community life of an idea, rather than the polished, finished project presented in the lecture treatise kind of thing. So I've been trying as much as possible uh, to. Learn uh, and and listen um, and, and put that into trying to get this so that um, people will say more than I really like that or that was interesting. I I, I mean I, I want to say something and I want it to be taken in a positive way. I want it to haunt them, right? So okay, I'm oh ah oh oh like it, 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 I want it to provoke and evoke um, and they carry it around in their life in a way that, um, I think is needed in order for it, um, to properly help people individually and collectively.
0: Well, I think we're going to talk quite a bit more about the inside outside and the practice and that aspect of it, but I want to, I want to get at in the first, in the first, um, in the first episode, you talk a lot about the title, which I think is really good because, Socrates. One of the things I learned about branding and titling is people don't look at all the words evenly. There's relevance realization, and even with just two <laughs> words, okay, right. this is this is about Socrates, but you say after Socrates. Yes. And so I know that you spent some good time in the in the video laying that out, but maybe just briefly
1: give yeah. people an idea of what's behind that title. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm Ryan, who's the new executive director of the Verbecki Foundation. He's like, you know, don't you? you Got to get just a little bit, but not too much of the secret sauce and stuff like that. <laughs> I just want to emphasize, though, that the series will be presented for free, so yeah. uh, this is not uh, drifting in any way. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, it's I'm after Socrates uh, in multiple senses. I'm uh, um, I, I, I'm I'm pursuing him. I'm trying to understand him. I'm trying to get at what was he like? Why is he such this? What it was called the Socratic Revolution for a reason and what was going on there and how and try to try to go much deeper than I did in awakening about how much the Socratic tradition has been inseminated into, um, what I would call the proper, uh, wisdom tradition of the West. Uh, and, and um, so I, you know, I end in Christian Neoplatonism and Uh, I end in two figures. Uh, I end with Nicholas of Cusa, because for me, he represents, Socrates claimed that he was wise and that he knew what he did not know, And this goes through this tremendous history until you get to Nicholas of Cusa and his doctrine of learned ignorance. And you see, wow, that's the Socratic thing come to this astonishing conclusion. And and Nicholas represents a pivot point. We could have gone with Nicholas rather than with Descartes. And many people are, are considering that right now. Uh, and then, of course, the other figure is Erogena or Arugina. I've heard in two different pronunciations right now. I don't know which one's right. Um, and because he is the one that really develops the idea um, that the proper way of understanding ontology is the, uh, the ontology is itself dialectical in nature. Um, and so there, I, I'm, I'm after Socrates in the sense I'm trying to get at. What was this practice he was doing? I'm trying to reverse engineer it so that we can bring and and, and reverse engineer the practice and yet unfold the tradition and bring it back to life for people. So, and those two are just two sides of the same coin, right? The tradition and the practice. I mean, if we've learned anything from Jonathan, we've learned that, right? The way they fold into each other and nourish each other. So I'm after Socrates in that way. Uh, I'm looking at what comes after Socrates in that way, people that come after him. And, and what was developed, and how and how that reflects back upon him, and then I'm after him in an aspirational sense. He's ahead of me, in a way. Uh, and the notion of the Socratic self, and uh, and the, the divine double. And uh, you know, I've been talking with Charles, Charles Stang, and um, it's a very um,
0: interesting conversation.
1: Yeah, uh, and that sense of uh, what it was What did Antisthenes really mean when he learned to converse with himself? The way he conversed with Socrates. What does that mean? What does and I, I aspire to that. And I get into a lot of the current, you know, this huge convergence that's happening in psychotherapy around these dialogical practices and these personification practices, like internal family systems theory. And what does and you know, and maybe something Socrates had something like that going on with his demonium. I actually consider that. And is that is that a viable thing for us today? And what does that mean? And um, so, I'm after Socrates in all three of those senses. Um, and um I, I I'm proposing to people that that's the appropriate framework in which we should try and relate. I, 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 i'm I'm really after trying to make attractive and viable a Socratic way for people
0: Now, one of the one of the interesting parts of the video that caught my attention was especially in a in a in a modernist christian context where for the last 300 years they've been this question about the historical jesus you know we're going to search for the historical jesus this is not a search for the historical socrates up front and i thought that was real and you talked about you know the um the beautiful yeah so so tell tell me more about that i mean because that that gets into this question of being in dialogue with Socrates and and yes. Socrates in dialogue with Christianity, which that yes.
1: dialogue has been going on for a very very long time. Very I much think. so, very much so. You can, I mean, uh, I've come back to think about how central that dialogue even is in one of your favorite authors, C.S. Lewis. That yes. dialogue between Socrates and Jesus is is very very pronounced in, in all of the Narnia uh, books. Um, yeah, uh, so in the seventh letter, Plato says he gives he gave the world a more beautiful Socrates, and he doesn't think that he's doing something illegitimate about that uh, because I don't know, I don't think we have enough textual evidence if that I that the the set of practices on reconstruction, I'm reconstruction I'm trying to reverse engineer uh, so we can collectively be Socrates to each other and actually practice it together. Um, I'm trying to reverse engineer. I don't know if that's historically accurate. How could I know? It would be pretentious to claim that. What I'm claiming to do is claiming to do what I see everybody after Socrates doing, which is enter into this dialogue with Socrates and beautify Socrates in a way that draws something out that becomes relevant to their time. And then some of it becomes perennially relevant, becomes relevant to the tradition. So I'm actually like all of these other people, like uh, you know, the Stoics, the way they take up Socrates, the way the Neoplatonists take up Socrates, etc. But I'm most interested in what is this, what is this dialectic into dialogus? What is it? How can we reverse engineer it? And so i'm I'm making use of third way Platonism, uh, which is the new scholarship, and I think it's very, very um philosophically and historically powerful. In fact, I think it's I I mean, I hesitate to say this, but I think it's right. About what was going on, um, and and so I've been deeply influenced, and I, I, I you know I talked about a lot of these thinkers like and the and Highland and Kirkland, all these people, um, and all the work that's been done. So it's not like I'm ignoring the the the, the scholastic, historical, and philosophical work, but I'm not interested in in getting the historical picture. I'm interested in. Like removing the log jams so that the river of the tradition can flow again into our lives and into our practice here and now, right? So that Socrates is meaningful for people the way he lives, like uh, in the practices, not the way he lived in Athens at that time. And so I, I, I I'm much more um, interested in what I call like the existential. Interpretation, which is, I think, what Plato was on about. He wanted to make, he wanted to present Socrates so that Socrates could be internalized and adopted into people's psyches and lives. He didn't want to just present um, the, the, you know, the pristine historical facts.
0: So I sorry, I, did that answer
1: your question? Oh
0: yeah. Well, and I think you know, to I think in some ways, I would I would phrase it more in turn. I would phrase it as something like you, you very much want to get at the spirit of socrates yes and um and you know that obviously you want that to be connected to you know i did a video recently because part of what part of what part of what we're dealing with in terms of what has happened to our conceptualization of history um you know for example if you read the iliad that's a very different history than you know, some archaeologist yeah. going to Troy to try to co- reconstruct the historical Troy and the historical Trojan War or something like that. And, yeah. and so recognizing the distinctions, and one obviously in the modern period has had priority over the other, and, and that then forced with Socrates, similar to what it did within Christianity with Jesus and Paul and all these figures in the Bible, you know, there's a particular view that modernist history his wants to look at it through, and there's a particular agenda beneath it, the concern here is, I, I think, and you know, we've talked about this before, that one of the things that an academic philosophical, the, the academic philosophical treatment of Plato and Socrates and Aristotle have, have have tended to be about is sort of this flat. Yes, here's here's all the data, and we've talked about, and, and many have been looking at and say, well, that doesn't really get at the spirit of what socrates is after exactly, exactly. anybody who reads those dialogues knows socrates is
1: after something because he's yeah, yeah. you know he he yeah. annoyed people <laughs> yes 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 i i, I think I, I i'm happy with your term especially given the extensive ongoing discussion about what we mean by this word spirit um uh, but yeah, to that, yes, I'm very much after the spirit of Socrates, which is very much what Plato's after too. Um, uh, try to grasp the significance of uh, 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 of what he's doing and, and learn how to enact it. Um, you know, if you look at and you know Hado and others, but you know, starting with Hado, right? Like if you look at the text and you look, you know the. read the beginning of the meditation, the people that Marcus Aurelius lists as the greatest philosopher, none of these people are writing anything down, right? He's not, it's about a way of life. And I think what uh, Plato was on about is that there was a beauty to Socrates that was beyond his, because he's physically ugly. There's a beauty to Socrates that um, interpenetrates with the beauty of the way of life. That he is offering to people and i think that is what i'm most trying to be faithful to so although i'm i i, I mean i'm not I'm, I'm not deliberately misrepresenting or lying but i'm much more interested in being faithful to that spirit than i am and getting the minutiae about the historical like i don't I, I i lay it down in front i don't claim that these practices that were you know reverse engineering are exactly what the the dialogues are doing. What I'm claiming is they allow us to do something that captures the the spirit, the logos of those dialogues for us, and that, to me, is what I think Socrates and Plato would actually most want. Well, and I, you know, when you think about,
0: let's say, so Plato, student, disciple of Socrates, wanted to. I, I would assume what Plato was after in terms of the dialogues. And and the tools that he had, and the tool that he had was written language, yeah. um, which which Plato also was self conscious of that.
1: Yes, yes. Um,
0: writing down language changes it from spoken language in a place, in a time, in a context. And and again, myself as you as a professor, myself as a as a preacher, I know any any experience any person who is experienced in dealing with rhetoric understands audience is key context is key so much we look we look at uh, we we forget often all of that but writing language writing letters on a page to form words to try to transmit socrates into the future which was clearly plato of course there's plato in there with socrates just as any reader of the gospels knows that matthew mark luke and john are all different um even though they're all trying to bring Jesus yes, through it exactly exactly and and so i mean and now in our realm with this these videos um set and setting i mean all of these questions this, this is very much it and so yes. and part of what's what's very interesting to me about this attempt is i see this in that vein so in some ways it's after Socrates, but in another way, you're sitting, you're working, obviously, through Plato, from Plato, but you're also, in. I think, probably trying to do what Plato tried to do, but you're trying to yeah. do it here and now.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to exemplify what Plato was doing, and not just report what Plato said. Right. Uh, exactly. And not just Plato, of course, because I go on, you know, and Antisthenes, and the Stoics, and a whole bunch of people, and all the way up into you know, Kierkegaard's engagement with Socrates, right? And you know, and and it's it's a life it's a it's a lifetime project that he has. Um, and I and you know, uh, do I agree with Kierkegaard's scholarship about Socrates? No, it's from the 19th century. There's ways in which it's been you know superseded. There's and it. But do I say, well, that's it? I don't read Kierkegaard. No, you you like you read the philosophical fragments. He's really wrestling with things. And you know, and he's getting at something, and, and and it's important, um, and and so yeah, very much like we said, I, I'm much more trying to do, I, I'm trying to do what Plato did rather than trying to re- repeat what he said. Um, I, I sorry, that sounds pretentious, but you know, I, I
0: don't think it's. I mean, every preacher tries to do that in church. I mean, we certainly report what Paul said and we report what, you know, the testimony of Jesus through the apostles, but every church is trying to do what Jesus
1: did. <laughs> yeah, and that's and that, that's ultimately what I want. Um, uh, I very much want it so that we can, you know, and this goes to the idea of distributed cognition, which is wrapped up with the discussion that's been going on around spirits, but, you know, that distributed cognition, we can... its it, we can't wait for a historical repeat of Socrates. We like, we, we need that we need, we need to be able to be tap into distributed cognition and have that, uh, serve as the, you know, the Socratic, uh, focal point, uh, for us. So, and again, I thought that was very much exemplified in Thunder Bay. There was no Socrates there, but there was something like a Socratic spirit that everybody was deferring to and was acting as a way of drawing us out challenging us getting us into dialogue affording us to reflect like yes you're nodding so you're agreeing with me yeah and, and so that's what i need mean. and, and and um and so i I'm, I'm hoping that this series will i mean obviously people will need to watch it on their own i'm not <laughs> no don't do it. but i'm hoping it'll be taken up in discussion groups and people who mm-hmm. want to do the practices together and want to reflect on the relationship between the words and the practices, between the phenomenology and the functionality and the proposition. Th- that's my hope. That's why I try to encourage in the format. And that's why I'm very grateful for being able to do this kind of thing because I, I can talk about how I want people to try and take it up. And you're affording that very well. The, the way you're drawing this out is exactly what what needs to be said.
0: I want I, I want to say something to... Because I, I have a, I have an understanding of what certain parts of my, especially having watched the first video, what certain parts of my audience are going to um, maybe get triggered by or be sensitive sure. to. I think it's it's vital to say outright that even scholars like someone like Peter Kreeft, who, I don't know if you know who he is. Yes, yes okay. I do. Um, you know nobody nobody is going to doubt Peter Craif's um um culture war or conservative now Roman Catholic he left the Dutch Calvinism and joined it's, he actually went to the same high school I did went to the same college I did wow. at the end of Calvin College he he crushed the hopes of the Calvin philosophy department by joining the Roman Catholic Church and he's disgusted some of them that I have personal relationships with by um mm-hmm. carrying on the um, the the kind of culture war agenda that he has, but if you read Peter Kreeft on Socrates, Peter Kreeft and John are not that far apart on Socrates. Or DC Schindler, or DC. Sch- That's right. So, but but to those audience that will say, yeah, Peter Kreeft is the man. If if you're if you get really triggered by this, you're gonna you should go back and read Peter Kreeft and what he has to say about Socrates and Plato. Because um, I know for certain, Protestants especially, um, there's sort of a there, there's sort of a, a biblicist tradition that if you actually look at Christian history and the church, it's and of course anybody who's now with this renaissance of attention of Eastern Christianity, yes, um, it in as the church grew out of. Judea and the Galilee and spread into the Roman world. And in many ways the church and the the Greek speaking Roman world just exploded. Um, that's all that you, that's you can't pull that apart from the dialogue with Socrates and Plato. It is and and that gets then into the Creeds and councils. I mean all of this language that we have in the church from from in Christology and Trinitarian language, it's all wedded and embedded, in many ways, in in so much of this tradition. I think it's, I think especially for for Christians watching your series, that's a really important observation to make, lest Christians get a little too too much, only Jerusalem and no Athens. It's just not
1: true of yeah. Christian history. Thank you for saying that. Um, and uh, and like I say, I. I'll, I'll speak to the Christians directly right now. I have, from the very beginning, and Paul, you can attest to this, I'm trying to be responsible and responsive to the Christian community, to have the whole series within the series um, with Christopher, or Kierkegaard, who's a Lutheran, <laughs> and, and and Socrates. Um, and um, also, I talk about the Christian and Neoplatonic tradition all the way through. Um, um, so first of all, I, I I'm not trying to impose secondly um and i hope this is taken in the way it's given because it's given with respect one of the reasons why the greek world could and i'm not trying to diminish the truth or the vibrancy of the gospel or anything like that but i think this is nonetheless a historical case that christianity the greek world was predisposed to christianity because of socrates also died for what he believed in, and and he right, and he right, and, and so that that way of exemplifying the depth of commitment was uh, available to the Greeks as a model uh, for those who uh, within the Greek world who took up Christianity, and um, so uh, and, and that's why if you look at early texts, there's lots of comparisons made, Justin Martyr and others between Socrates. And, Jesus, and it's not because they're trying to diminish. They're trying to say, look, you've already got, a they thought of Socrates often as a prototype. That's a word that's sometimes even used. Um, so again, I'm not trying to, I'm not a Christian, and I'm not trying to convince anybody uh, uh, to stop being a Christian. Uh, but I do think everybody can benefit from understanding dialectic and logos. Um, and i and i think um i think it's one of the wellsprings not the particular thing i'm trying to articulate something that's already alive i'm not i'm not the founder of it but i think dialectic and the dialogos is, is one of the wellsprings of this little corner of the internet i i, I do believe that and i i I'm, I'm i'm convinced of that and so i'm trying to afford that um if you have found my work valuable i think it is very plausible that you'll find this series very valuable. I, I thought, in terms of
0: comparing it to Awakening from the Meaning Crisis, I definitely felt that this was more accessible. Yes, it's, that's the attempt. The pacing is, is slower. I think the addition of of cards with some background on them that comes in interstitially, Um, I think, I think this will be much more accessible. And in terms of a lot of the terms, you know, now we've been playing with your language probably messily for a while. And because that's what (laughs) we're doing. We're playing with your language. You've introduced vocabulary. We're playing with it. And like children, you know, play with their parents things. Sometimes we might not know all of the academic connections, but we're playing with it. And, and I think, um, Now that we've had some familiarity with the language and we've been playing with it, now to have it sort of introduced again slowly and then sharpened into greater, you know, this is what I'm talking about. This is how it connects. I think that's a a very important iterative um, moment in terms of all of us understanding each other and improving.
1: Thank you for saying that. I mean, that's what I aspire to. I mean, I, I working with Chris Alford and uh, Casey Altworth, uh, you know, and, and their crew, um, and, you know, the, to raise the production values, get clear sound, clear, image, clear visual, or clear images, uh, like you said, take it much more. Um, I, I've been, again, trying to uh, respond to that Um, um the idea of, of, of trying to like, I, I think I, I like that word. I'm trying to make this accessible. Uh, I still want it to be challenging. I don't want it to be so accessible so that uh, it's not challenging. I want it to be in the zone of proximal development. I want it to be, but I want it, I want it to be accessible enough that people get enough so that they will undertake the challenge. It's, it's very much the case that um, I think that, you know, Try some of the practices, try them a little bit, see what they mean, see how they affect you, uh, see how they alter your ability to relate to yourself to other people. I'm not interested in particular propositions. I'm not trying to uh, push particular propositions other than sort of the general ones about learned ignorance and the dialectical nature of ontology, platonic dialectic uh, nature of ontology. Um, I just released a video today uh, uh, from the talk I gave at, uh, at Ralston, which is a based on a, a core argument from uh after socrates about the deep connections between neoplatonism and 40 e cognitive science and what that tells what that might tell us about uh how we should look at the world I, um, so i i hope well thank you for saying that i that was a, that was an explicit goal i hope I, I i'm consistent uh with it throughout the rest of the series <laughs>
0: well let, let's talk about the the inside outside dimension of this because yeah. i mean i i heard you comment to some um to someone oh, i think it was in your your video to um to jordan cooper yeah. um this this i think is it's obviously central to this effort i mean the the awakening from the meaning crisis were sort of classroom lectures You're yes right? This is you're very much trying to invite people into having a sense of inside outside. Now, when it so so we've got the inside outside dimension, and we've also got the 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 enormous challenge that I think is beneath the meaning crisis. One of the challenges beneath the meaning crisis, which is pervasive pluralism. Yes. Yes. Because yes. the the reality of inside outside is inside outside is very anti pluralist. Yes, because there's no pluralism on the inside. When you're inside, you're nested, oh, yeah. embedded, um, and and then from that insideness, yeah. the world, you know, the arena has a coherence. You're an integrated agent within the arena. Um, so. And that's going to be an aspect of this that that I I think is going to be very interesting to watch because well, but that's beautiful. this is this is something different from just your standard YouTube uh, thinky
1: talky stuff. I hope so. I mean, it's, it's wonderful to talk to you because you can say these things where if I, if I said them, they would just sound um, self centered and uh, self promotional. So I appreciate you you and. and, and your astute commentary. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a di- there's there's actually a dialectic and the logos between the inside and the outside. So, I mean, part of the proposal, again, it's you know, and I've been doing work on this. It comes out in the talk that was released today. You know, the uh, and, uh, and Thomas uh, Plant's book. He's also just just for your readers know he's a, he's also a Christian who talks about Neoplatonism Um, and the idea of the philosophical silk road and and the philosophical silk road and the courtyard rather than the courtroom. Um, And and so I think the Socratic way is about that. Again, uh, and that's because the Socratic way, uh, which I think is continuous with the Neoplatonic way, um, has good evidence of its ability to enter into deep reciprocal reconstruction with Christianity um, I, I'm 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 going to release some videos soon. I've been talking with Bishop Maximus. He was the Eastern Orthodox Bishop of, of Patagonia, uh, and that's been astonishing. I um, think uh, he, we've he, he's been talking to me about uh, Eastern Orthodoxy. he calls it. He's very specific, and I won't spill the secret sauce. But about how the way Christianity transfigured Neoplatonism—that is the word he thinks is the best way of understanding it. And of course, he's he's tapping into the biblical imagery, but he wants to make a philosophical point uh he's both a monk and a, a, a teacher of philosophy at the seminary so um so uh, I, but you know with christianity clearly with sufism uh I've, I've been delving into that uh recently judaism and kabbalah uh there's good evidence of its ability to interact with i'll do that with buddhism uh, to do that probably with vedanta there's some preliminary stuff And to be careful because a lot of this stuff is historically controversial But that's what—that's the proposal. The proposal is: is this a way that is affording of other ways, so that we have what I like to call a principled pluralism, where we have a way of talking to each other um, in a principled fashion. Um, So it's not relativism. There are shared principles of practice. So that we can challenge each other, uh, which is not the same thing as trying to convert each other. I think if every I think that's pretty clear now. We've pretty much been demonstrating how that really works and how that's vivifying for everybody. Um, so I I'm hoping to to try and do that dialogue, right? The dialogue between what what is this, what is this tradition, what is this path, what is this way of life, uh, and then but how can it be the courtyard? How can it be the philosophical soul road? How has it been? Um, and that's part, by the way, of the mini series with the series within the series with Chris about here. Let's really do this. Let's watch this, you know, titanic figure, Kierkegaard, wrestle like just, oh, like, like yeah. you know, Israel wrestling with the spirit of God, wrestle yeah. with. The relationship between these two figures and i and and and, you know you read that work and you don't come away from that saying what a waste of time yeah Um, you come away from that saying oh my gosh i now understand things on both sides that i didn't understand before yeah
0: i i think it's i think i'm really glad that this i'm really looking forward to that aspect of this series because again i mean part part of the and correct me if i'm wrong part of the reason we still have Socrates via Plato is because the church in many ways kept them alive in the West. And, you know, again, to all of my reformed tribe um, you can't really understand Augustine (laughs) without Plato, Neoplatonism. I mean, that's deeply within Augustine. And Um... so...
1: You can't understand Aquinas either. I would say, Um, and I know that might ruffle some reform feathers, but nevertheless, the the case that is being made currently by you know by uh, uh, Sebastian Melo and uh, Clark and other that Aquinas is better understood as a Neoplatonist Hmm. using Aristotle the way a Neoplatonist would, rather than Aristotelian. I think that case is convincing, Um, and so and and it and. Uh, the reason I'm quoting both of them is they're like at bookends of this entire tradition. So that entire tradition is being deeply informed, uh, even in the West, by a deep discussion. Like St. Bonaventure, the journey of the mind to God, like, come on, like that—that's that's richly Neoplatonic. Um, um, And of course, Eastern Orthodoxy is very clear. But it's also, I I just want to give credit, Um, the Islamic world actually preserves even more of the documents, and the, so you have a completely different. I mean, it's not completely different. It's an Abrahamic monotheistic religion, but it's it's other than Christianity in important ways, and it also sees the value in this tradition. And you can see the same thing. You can see the the wrestling within Islam about how we can't ignore this and we can't crush it. We, but we can't simply like adopt it to core. Right? And there's this, and 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 so all of these texts are preserved. Uh, for, so you have a completely different religious framework also sensing something of value in this and then taking it up And so many of the texts are actually preserved for a very long time in the Arab world or in the Islamic world because the Persians aren't Arabs right. uh, and, and that, so what I want to give credit there too and, and, and that to me I mean just stepping back that's an inside outside thing like why are the these two different religious traditions right I, I know they're not completely separate from each other but they're different why are they both, why do they both commit so much time and effort to wrestling with these texts and preserving them? There's a reason. There's a reason. And, I'm, and, and, and again, this is audacious of me, but I'm trying to get at it. What is that? What is it about it? Um, and what could that be for us today?
0: Do, do you, in your series, do you have any dialogue with any Islamic scholars? No,
1: I mean, I'm going to have some videos with some Islamic scholars, and I've, I've talked with some Islamic scholars. Before and I, I'm, I'm I'm particularly trying to get uh, a time set up with a Neoplatonic Islamic scholar. So the Ismailis, um, I've just learned this. (laughs) They, uh, I mean, they have preserved. So I knew about the Sufis, but the Ismailis also have this deeply Neoplatonic framework, actually fairly explicit. um, And he, and he's an academic as well, and he wants to talk to me. We're going to talk. Cahill is his name. We're going to talk, Dr. Khalil. And I uh, at some point, point. Um, and I would, I mean, I want to do, I want to do a series after after Socrates uh, about <laughs> uh, about that. I want to try and follow this, you know, the dialogue in Sufism and in Judaism and and, and in uh, you know and, and and the Kyoto School in Japan. I want to follow it out that way. Uh, right now, I was more concentrating on, you know, Arthur versus Lewis again. I highly recommend his work. You know, you've got this sort of spirituality backbone running through the west uh the abrahamic west and it's neoplatonism and what is that and why is it so vibrant and how and how did we come to forget it again uh excluding eastern orthodoxy which has has i think uh i think can legitimately claim to keep that tradition more alive one more thing and i'll, and I'll shut up because I, I can tell i'm very excited about all this but i, I and I don't know if Jonathan would disagree with me. I don't think Bishop Maximus would disagree with me either. I think one of the reasons for the revival of Eastern Orthodoxy is precisely because it's offering a real enacted ecology of practices that have resonance with the Neoplatonic tradition. I that's to my mind, that's not a coincidence. That's not a coincidence. It's
0: part of what's, you know, in terms of the inside-outside thing again, when the the in whatever inside you're within is obviously going to create because this is how the inside serves as sort of a filter, yes. better or for worse, of what can come in and what can come out, what can go out, what you're open to, what you're not open to, why you're open to it, why you're not open to it, you know, and and even, I mean, because you're right in terms of the preservation of texts and the engagement of texts in Islam, part of the difficulty is that for for many for many of us in the West, our view of Islam has been, you know, very narrow. And yes. usually through, you know, recent Islamist um actions and, and even sort of Islamic YouTube, which um you know I don't have a lot of experience with, but there there's some this is where we get into the the the, the media question because yeah. yeah you know youtube sort of takes off on christian atheist debate that sort of thing you know gets clicks yeah. in youtube and now islam is sort of on youtube too and um you know there's sort of this there's sort of this big trinitarian versus anti-trinitarian um things on youtube i mean that even that even flared up when uh when Peterson and, and Peugeot have this talk with uh Muhammad Hijab. And it's not, yes. uh, yeah. So we're gonna, you know, here, here we're gonna talk about the Trinity on this. That's that's rather fascinating. So so I I I understand I understand your project here in some ways to to attempt to see what this what this medium can bear. Yes. In, yes. And and I have, you know, it's, it's interesting because I, a lot of my audience consumes, which is a very loaded term, but not an inapt term in terms of, yeah. because even the process of listening, I mean, do we listen to YouTube? Do we watch YouTube? Well, a lot of it depends on the content. And then, you know, so I was, I was going through this while I had to, I have some end of year financial reports I have to do. So it's like good time to catch up on content because (laughs) I'm doing spreadsheets, but then, you know, okay. So, oh, here's this meditation practice. Hmm. I can't do that while I'm working through my end of year finance (laughs) report. And, and so, and, and so I think this is going to be very interesting in asking questions of the medium. What, what can we do with this medium? And and you know, that's something I've struggled with a lot because, on one hand, part of the reason Jonathan and I, well, you know, one of our one of the things we often tell people to do is go to church. And yes. that sounds tribalistic and mercenary.
1: Oh, no, but I get what you're saying.
0: Yeah. But but we say it because basically the thing is listening to Christian YouTube won't make you a Christian. And this very much gets into our conversation that we're going to have with Jordan Cooper, because is a Christian someone who holds these propositions in their head? That's been very dominant in modernist Christianity in the West. Yes, yes. And um, even though I think in some ways the dominance has always been overblown, if you actually look at what's practiced in churches because churches will often churches can't really know what's in the heads of most of their people yes and if you talk to people after sermons in terms of what they've actually picked up um usually not a lot most of what actually gets carried through and makes changes in people is happening with the other three p's
1: yes i agree i agree and and so I i
0: think as you know as as we see as this experiment in attempting to um, attempting to how what's the best word to say? You know, revive a Socratic spirit. yes, um, it'll be very interesting to see, you know, how this works because, you know as as a preacher and as a pastor and a church leader, you try things, and then it's like, let's try it, and then you'll watch.
1: Yeah, I, and, and, and it, yeah, and yeah, and you're right. And, and um, uh, I mean, I I mean, I had success with teaching the medit. I had success with teaching all of the practices individually, uh, online in person. Uh, with, uh, Is with that, what with, you mean? No, no, no. When I like when during COVID, I taught. Oh, okay. On the, yes, your, your meditation videos online. Yeah, and, and so uh, you know, and the community took shape around it, and things like that. Um, but yeah, it, I. I I hope that'll be the case, but I mean, I can't, it's not, I'm not running an algorithm. I don't know. I'm hoping that uh, it'll afford that. Uh, before I forget, I mean, I pinned the comment. I wanted to thank you for your comment on my video in response to Jordan. That was, um, it touched me. Um, because I, that's what I, 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 I I really aspired to, to do with that video. And so getting that feedback from you was, um, um very encouraging, very reassuring. So I just wanted to thank you for that comment. It was very, very...
0: Well, part of what I think I want to bring to this little corner is the understanding that, and this again is you learn this in pastoral ministry. You can let's say if if you really want to challenge someone, generally speaking, In terms of the other three Ps, you really can't, you can only challenge them to the degree that the personal relationship can bear it. Yeah, I agree. Personal relationships are where, especially in our current context, where structures and institutions have been disrupted, sometimes deservedly so because of corruption. Yes. Um, It's, it's in the, it's in the personal relationships unless you have that foundation you're never really going to be able to really wrestle and again you've you've, you've you know plato is broad he's a wrestler yeah. Yeah, and exactly. and you know i've i've not done martial arts but um we really want to wrestle with each other because we do even though we have differences and we have different inside outside things going We very much do want to get at the truth. And part of what we've recognized in this little corner, and I think your meaning crisis language has afforded this, is, you know, the video I put out today, here we've got some very conservative Jews living within a very thick, deep culture, wrestling with the same things I see very conservative Christians wrestling. I see, you know, many people who have thick religious cultures are wrestling with the same things that. People who don't consider themselves to be religious at all are wrestling
1: with. Yeah, and and, and, and there's ways you can see that. In the I mean, pluralism is sort of our official doctrine, but you know, you can see a lot of attempt to create a, a complete and an orthodox consensus um, in, in the culture to tr- because uh, because there's at least an implicit understanding. Of the problem that pluralism presents for uh, community and for tradition and for culture, um, and so yeah, I, 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 getting people to see those non-propositional similarities and how they could benefit from the perspective uh, uh, other than their own, um, yeah, I. I'm I, I well you. just know, was what i saying. I'm I'm very much in favor of that, and I, I hope, um, like I said, I tried to respond very much deeply in kind to Jordan, Dr. Cooper's uh, video, um, and um, so um, because I, I I want to exemplify as much as I speak. Uh, I, 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 I I treat him. As coming in good faith, um, and so.
0: Let us talk a little bit about the meditation aspect, because, and I think the practice aspect is going to be where certain people sort of hold back, especially if they're within a deep religious context.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: And, yeah, and and so I've you know I was I was in Thunder Bay for the um, for the walkthrough, and I watched. Um, this walkthrough, and it's very similar to what you've done in Thunder Bay. It's sort of an introduction. Yeah. Um, part of the difficulty that I think we're dealing with here is that we have so, so few words mean many different things. For example, yeah. prayer is a word that actually when you, if you have a higher resolution of prayer, you begin to realize that hmm, there's a lot going on underneath that word. And, whereas meditation in some in some cultures in in secular north america especially sort of spiritual but not religious cultures in secular north america meditation has kind of become a a really oh i meditate and that's you know supposed to give you status amongst your friends and and what i think a lot of people probably don't know because they probably haven't heard you enough on this is that you've actually done a fair amount of deconstructing of this in yeah. in your approach to it and and I know you know when I I posted I decided after Thunder Bay I was going to post all of the videos not just my own and part of the reason I did that was because I wanted to gauge how my audience heard that and I knew that for especially a a um yeah. some of our some of my conservative Christian audience, you just say that word meditation and hackles go up because they they, yeah. they have in their memory um, transcendental meditation that went through in the 70s and Hare Krishna's and uh, people leaving church and saying, well, I don't pray, I meditate. So maybe you could up the resolution on exactly what what your agenda is with this and and how you because when I watch you do it, I very much see you do it as a cognitive scientist.
1: Yes, yes. I mean, that's very much the case. Uh, I, it, it, and this was part of the, the difficulty with the series is uh, like I couldn't I didn't want to repeat everything I did in Awakening for the Immune Crisis. And I made a very careful argument about mindfulness and attention and did it from a very strict cognitive scientific framework um, and, and, and um so, and, and, and I'll put links in those episodes of Dr. Socrates where I point to that uh, to that that cognitive scientific work. For me, I mean, I guess a place it would be is something, uh, maybe if I start with somebody other than myself, like, think about all the ways Jonathan Pajot emphasizes attention, and then how much we've neglected our attention in our understanding. Even uh, Christians, I mean, and, and I think many Christians have been, have welcomed that critique. Um, and so, I mean, I would then put the question to you, how do you train your attention? If you if you accept that attention and what you find salient and maybe a little bit of my work relevant, right? If all of that is really, really important um, to meaning, and I would even argue, and I think Jonathan goes too, even to sacredness, well, what are you doing in order to make sure that that faculty is operating as best it can? You certainly are aware that your faculties can operate defectively or deceptively. Um, what, can, what, what would you want to, don't you want that faculty to be as, um, properly trained as you possibly can? And so uh, that's why I often compare it to like a martial art, uh, where, well, you know, uh, I, 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 coordination is important well what do you do to train coordination like what do you really do and do you train it in enough different non-normal ways so that you can deal with non-normal situations or if not you will be trapped inside the normal situations in the comfort zone when i went on rave kelly's uh return to the source and when i were doing the parkour uh, you know oh through the rocks in the forest it's like yeah it's like I've been doing martial arts for like three decades, but still, and, you know, and it was like, <laughs> and, and here I am, I, oh, I've got all this th- three decades. And then here's his daughter, bing, 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 along the rock. And like, And it's like, oh, right, right. Well, there's youth there too. <laughs> there's youth, there's youth. <laughs> but still there was also, he's been bringing her up and, and yep. his son, right, from uh, as soon as they could. And so they have a, a kind of coordination that, and, 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 he, and that doesn't stay just the parkour the point is and i talk about this a lot in the series about ritual right and it transfers broadly and deeply right you you, you want to do it in a way that it, like it does you these kids have a confidence wherever they go because that coordination yeah. is it's carried into many well the same thing you want to train your attention you want to train your reflection you want to train your active open-mindedness these are all things and you want it you want to involve the body uh, because the body is an inherent gestural imaginal enactment that's what it is and if you don't think stop thinking of your body as cartesian play that's one of the things we've all been talking about reinhabit it and then that means to understand it as an imaginal gestural enactment and process and then so i i, I and then finally i would point out that again this is nothing foreign to the Christian tradition. It's only foreign after the scientific revolution. Like the, 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 the meditative, contemplative movement. Like the, the, the Christian tradition is, is just rich with this all the way through and through. Um, and so, again, um, I w- would ask people to open up to the possibility that There is something here that is of value to them that doesn't require them adopting Buddhism, adopting Taoism. It doesn't mean um, you should denigrate Buddhism or Taoism either. Um, But because I think these are, I'm confident of this because there's historical and cultural evidence that these practices are universal. They get taken up in various different, including the Christian tradition, including Islamic tradition, including, like, there's a reason why these practices get taken up, and I'm trying to get people to key into those reasons, um, and so the practices are in reference to a cognitive scientific framework, and then they're all they're ultimately in reference to this. What's a set of practices I can do that will help me be better at dialectic and video logos? That's the goal. There's no hidden agenda. There is no hidden agenda. That's the goal. I stated up front, here's these, just given the best cognitive scientific understanding, my best participant observation, the best training I've done, here's the practices. What's their explicit goal? Making you better at doing, right, dialectic into logos. That's the goal. No hidden agenda.
0: And and I think part of what's interesting in this, and, and it bears reflection that, in some ways, what we've done is we've taken, and I think you're right, in terms of Peterson and Peugeot, we've been talking about attention. And so like you like you have with your illustration with the glasses, in a sense, yeah. attention, we're always paying attention, but now we're sort of taking the glasses off and looking at the attention lens. And then when you look at that lens and you think about, let's say, pretty standard church participation, okay, well, why why do you go to church every week? now you should go to church every week and i know a lot of californians don't um why do you not just go to church when you feel like it why do you go to church every week why why is there that rhythm of 7 days and then in terms of let's say daily devotions and other practice or daily office as some practice why what, what is that what is what are what are you doing with that well you're drawing attention and so in order to go to church you're going to have to then you come into this room and of course this room is is set up in a particular way <laughs> whether it's a plain Protestant so that it's sort of empty or if it's a rich Catholic or Orthodox thing. And I mean, and then the entire worship service is in fact a regime of disciplined attention here, 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 this way, this way, this way. That's all that we do.
1: Yeah, very much so. And um, uh, it's, and in, in, in you sing, um, right? Uh, and, and, and there's and and and, the, and then the singing is close to practices which are also extant in the Neoplatonic Christian tradition, like Lexio Divina. Uh, like and again, this I've read many people from many different Christian denominations, some of them Protestants, talking about practicing Lexio Divina and how much it has brought the Bible alive to them. If that, like, I, 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 <laughs> I want to offer that to people, yeah. But, you know. But I, of course, I'm not just offering it to Christians. I want to offer it to, 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 to Jews and to Muslims and to Buddhists, and, like because again, um, and and again, I'm not trying to water down anybody's particular inside story. You you like right to keep referencing that, but I do think there are cognitive scientific reasons why these. Kinds of practices have been taken up by many traditions and found reliably across generations to be so powerfully effective at bringing about real transformation in people. And I want to try to understand that and make that available to people.
0: One of one of the um, I, I, have you um, do you know who Dallas Willard was? No. Dallas Willard was a phenomenologist. He he got his Ph.D. studying Husserl. He taught at University of Southern California for most of his life. He was deep friends with Richard Foster, who wrote a book that was very influential in the late 70s called The Celebration of Discipline. Dallas Willard led a, a Christian movement called the Renovare Movement. And the whole point of that movement was to bring um, fasting, meditation, all of these movements into you know Dallas Willard was raised, I believe, Southern Baptist. So, um, in one of the things that I think is a lot of people who maybe just discovered all of this on YouTube now, um wow. it's difficult for them to know that there have been many movements going on addressing similar things. And in many ways, Dallas Willard within, conservative christian areas um i i would recommend i think his his my favorite book of his is a um oh now i can't think of it <laughs> it's his, it's <laughs> basically his his treatise on the sermon on the divine conspiracy mm. and it's his treatise on the sermon on the mount he was teaching at usc he begins by dealing with what in the 70s and 80s was a little bit of the virtue crisis at harvard and then Dallas Willard, for me, was the first one to say, "Here's Plato, here's Jesus. You'd better have these two talking together. And he was also pursuing, you know, classical spiritual disciplines that most Protestants had not practiced in. And um, and so in many ways, if if you want to see a particular conservative Protestant expression, of a lot of what we're talking about look at Dallas Willard and and again Dallas Willard was a you know he taught philosophy at USC and so he you know it's, it's it's just it's fascinating to me how we we might feel sort of all alone and like we're the only ones doing this but if you begin to look out there you discover well it's not exactly like we were doing but there's Dallas Willard doing this in his work and so Looks it's like, helpful to look, know these things
1: looks like jordan cooper is also deeply uh, in love with at least certain aspects of neoplatonism the true the good and the beautiful and things like that um and so and notions of participation uh which i hope we can have a very fruitful uh, discussion about um so i agree with you um, uh, I, 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 I'll, I i'll always be honest with everybody i'm not a christian but I'm trying to tell you what my agenda is, and I don't have a secret agenda. I'm I'm really I'm trying to be very clear about what I do, what I'm doing, and why I think it's valuable. And I'm and I'm trying to be as responsible and responsive as I can to the Christian community because of the long-standing historical and cultural dialogue between Socrates and Jesus, if I can put it that way, um, and, and and deeply formative. Uh, Are deeply formative of whatever we point to when we use the term Western civilization, Um, and so uh, I I mean I don't know what else to say. I I I try to be (laughs) I'm trying to be as transparent, uh, and you're being very helpful about that. Um, And of course, um, I've discovered all of you are very capable of not agreeing with me, so that's very good too. (laughs) And (laughs) that and and, and that um, and, and that you're also. Um, you also understand that I'll listen and I'll respond. I may not agree with you, but uh, this is, uh, this is, this, I mean, this sounds trite, but uh, you know, isn't, this is, this project is an act of love on my part. Yeah. It's not, um, uh, even the tone um, uh, is um, different than awakening from new crisis in a lot of ways. Yeah. So,
0: oh, that's true. I, and I had picked up on that, but I didn't, I mean, you're saying it this way. That's true. It is a very different tone from awakening from the meaning crisis. Yes. Yeah, yeah. um, um, one of, one of the guys in in our little corner, Hezi who lives in Jerusalem um, keeps saying, you know, we're not, this is not a safe space. This is a brave space. Yeah. And I like that. I like that posturing because um, yeah, this is, we there, We are facing challenges in this world and, um, and I know to, to enter into this space where there is a lot of difference in this little corner of the, you know, Sam and his biblical Unitarianism and, you know, Father Eric. And I mean, we've got, we've got people from, and we've got Jacob, um, you know, a, a Hasidic Jew. I mean, we've got people all over the spectrum here and we are, we are practicing, we we are having serious, productive, not just respectful, because to me, respectful sounds cold. I would much yeah. rather have this be a loving space where, you know, we, cause, cause real love, you know, real love transcends differences and that's what you really need with differences, not just respect where, okay, we'll tolerate each other, but we'll love each other even with differences.
1: I, have seen and I have tried to be receptive and wanting to learn from the people that I've been in discussion with. I tried to even exemplify that in my response to Jordan Cooper. Um, and and that has been the case for me. And um, I, I, for me, that's the Socratic spirit, uh, that, that willingness to follow the logos no matter where it goes and the willingness to learn and the willingness... That, the, the exemplary way in which Socrates is capable of, once he's established this position and defeated, every, he then tears it apart himself and says, what's wrong with it? Um, and um, I, 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 I'm not Socrates, I, but I, I aspire to um, that spirit. And I think, um, again, I'm humbly offering that that spirit is relevant to this little corner of the internet for just that reason. That, that capacity to like, can we really enter into this where we are firm but receptive? We're willing to listen and learn, uh, but we're also willing to challenge and uh, to grow. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I my hope is that that's what this series would do, that's what I wanted it to do. Um, I uh, uh Casey, who is you know, Chris's brother, is a deeply Devoted practicing Christian, and he was there, and he's doing like he's helping with all the shooting and everything, and he's giving Chris me all. Castro your...
0: Pietro's brother, or
1: no, no, this is Christopher Altar. Uh, Christopher, oh, okay, okay. He's the videographer. He's the same uh, person who was doing a lot of the filming of the documentary uh, film for and uh, and um, yeah, and, and so Casey was there, and he was regularly and reliably giving me, uh, you know, uh, Christian responses and. I mean, it's only, he's only an N an, an of one, but he is, he became um, extremely enthusiastic about the project. Um okay. So um, again, uh, again, and I'm not trying to, I mean, I'm speaking to your audience because it's your audience, but I, for those of you who aren't Christian, I'm not also especially cri- privileged in Christianity. I, uh, but I do want to let you know that um, uh, that dialogue, like I said, I, I, I made like there's a part like I deliberately there's like six, seven episodes with Chris and I, Socrates and Kierkegaard, you know, because I wanted that. I and I didn't want to do it monologically. I wanted to do it from somebody who is very much and, and, and this is Christopher Mastic Pietro. And if Chris, if anybody can lyric and he is a deep uh devotee of Kierkegaard And if anybody can bring that lyrically to life, it's Prince. Right. And so um yeah. Um yeah, I I, I, I understand people's concerns uh, and, and but I'm trying to and, and I appreciate you giving me this opportunity, Paul. Thank you. Uh, um but I, I am trying to do this clearly, transparently, good faith and try to be as clear as what I think is on offer and how I'm offering it. Okay.
0: okay. Good. Any anything else you wanted to bring up? I think that that
1: was my list. No, uh, no. Like I said, if, if you can, uh, it would be great to not only watch this individually, but watch it and do group discussion about it and around it. Uh, that's what soccer would have wanted. And, uh, that's very much what I want, uh, and I'm trying to exemplify that, like by involving other people throughout the series. I'd like people to also. Well, pay attention to something or what we've been talking about here. Uh, um, I'm also trying to do stuff with the medium Um, and I want to see how that goes. Is it working and is it making a difference? Uh, I The feedback I'm getting from all the beta watching is, yeah, this is different and it's trying to do something different. Um, I'd like people to try and uh, try to be receptive to the the format as much as the content
0: good good well i'll uh i'll end the recording thank you john and um i'll probably post this today's friday i'll probably post this on monday morning so uh it'll it'll give people a chance to see this before they can um dig their dig in now the pacing is going to be one a week two a week be two, two a week
1: mondays same day or different yeah. days different days mondays and thursdays so Mondays and thursdays yeah um So that people have time to do a bit of the practices before each episode. Okay. Okay. Good. Good. Thank you, John. Thank you so much, Paul. Greatly appreciate it.